Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Burju Baram. Burju is a senior data scientist at LinkedIn. Burju, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. So uh, you gave a presentation at Strata. Uh, was it yesterday? Yes, it was yesterday afternoon. Uh, and the, you were actually part of a group uh, of folks at LinkedIn talking about using the full spectrum of data science to drive business decisions. And uh, so we'll dig into that topic uh, in a lot more detail. But before we do, uh, how did you get started working in data science and machine learning? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I work as a data scientist with the data mining team at LinkedIn. Uh, but actually, I, I am a mathematician. So I did my PhD in math, in number theory and algebraic geometry, um, which actually is a pure math, like, you know, nothing to do with the applied math. Like we just prove theorems and stuff. And then uh, after my PhD- I still have know, nightmares of real analysis in grad school. Oh. And that was probably <laughs> your favorite topic. Actually, I don't like real analysis also. Like, <laughs> I like more kind of linear algebra kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, still, yeah, real analysis. Um, yeah, I, I, can, I can understand your, your pain, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did my PhD in Europe, and then I came to U.S. Uh, as a postdoc in math, uh, first at Stanford Math Department. I was there for two years, and then I went to University of Michigan, um, and again, I stayed there another two years. So, But I was still, you know, like, this, I, I was still thinking about being a mathematician. Like, I didn't have any idea about, you know, going in industry, being data scientist, etc. But while during my time at Stanford Math Department, like, I had some friends in this area who are working. You make this, it sound like know, prison during your time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was like five, seven years ago, I think. Yeah. Okay. So during my that time, like, I had some friends and they were, you know, like, very much into this machine learning techniques. And whenever they have this, math problem related to the, related to their machine learning problem they were bringing to me and that's where I started to understand like how machine learning works but only the math side of it of course and then like during my time in Michigan um, I was really very much into this machine learning I started to think more about that I, I, I slowly I slowly you know like moved toward this applied side of math like oh you know by using math you can also solve that kind of interesting problems and then I decided to you know like my only actually, I decided that I will quit math and then I will go into the um, into machine learning. Um, but saying that, uh, of course, it's not that easy. Like having all this theoretical math background, math background no coding or nothing, um, no statistical knowledge, just knowing the math. Like you cannot just go and do machine learning. Uh, I I came to this area again. I talked to my friends and I asked them like what else I should learn then. 
and then I realized it will this transition will not be that easy. Um, but then I was lucky that I at that time I heard about this Insight Data Science Fellow Program. So this program helps people who has PhD in quantitative uh, sciences uh, to do the transition into data science. Mm. So I was accepted to that program luckily, and they helped me actually to do the transition. So they helped me to build the network and you know like learn the right stuff and then have some data science project and then you know start to talk to companies about being data scientists uh, going into interview and stuff and my first job was uh, at a startup uh, which was it is six sense which is located in san francisco they are just b2b intelligence company so we were uh, doing a lot of machine learning there actually like i i I mean, I had learned about the theory of machine learning, but of course, like applying it, like coding and then, you know, getting the results with the real data is completely different. So this is like where I really learned how to do machine learning. And then um, after two years working there, uh, three years ago, I started to work at LinkedIn. And since then, I'm working uh, with the with the data mining team at LinkedIn. Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I've had a number of folks from... Uh they went through the insight uh, program uh, on the show. I've also interviewed, I think Ross Fadley, is that his name? Um, uh, out of New York. And uh, I know Emmanuel who runs the AI uh, program or track uh, out of uh, the Bay area. But I've had a bunch of really great conversations with folks affiliated with uh, with Insight in in one capacity or another. Seems like a great program for folks that are kind of finishing, you know, transitioning from academia to you know either data science or machine learning, or they've got a bunch of other projects now or programs now. Yeah, exactly. So actually, when I was in this Insight, they were pretty new. It was their uh, I was their second group actually. Like this was oh like wow. Four years ago, yeah, uh, and now they are pretty big. Actually, like they have a lot of programs going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so maybe before we dive into kind of the, your session and and, and data mining, uh, I'm curious about the you know this transition from kind of theoretical math- mathematician to data scientist. Do you use any of the theoretical math? Does it kind of impact at all the way you think about data science or eh, not really? Oh, honestly, the math that I learned at the PhD level, I don't use that at all. Like, <laughs> no, unfortunately, I wish I could use, but no, because I really spent a lot of time to, you know, understand those concepts. But, but of course, like being in math, like uh, having math education for almost 15, 16 years and being in math professionally for 10 years, of course, it has a lot of um, effect on how I do data science. So obviously, like um, I'm used to have this analytic thinking kind of thing. So when I have the problem, I can put a structure on it and can, I can see the big picture and then I can try to solve it and also I have I all the time do this reasoning thing because you know I'm used to prove theorems you know just combine all these logics if this is this then this is that so this also helped me to think not only about hows but I also care about why so 
that helps me to have deeper understanding about the problem and also about their solution. And also, um, of course, I'm very comfortable with the mathematical concept. And actually, I, I, I have a story. So this was uh, my interview with this uh, with the startup. This is my first job as a data scientist. So there was this lead data scientist there, and he was interviewing me about the machine learning techniques. And... Um, in the first half of the interview, he started to ask me about questions about those machine learning algorithms. And he was always asking me why you do this, why you do that. And I was I was so comfortable to explain those. You know, I was comfortable with teaching. I was comfortable with the math concepts. And it was like, I was like, wow, I'm really rocking this interview. <laughs> like, I, I know everything. Like, and then like, okay, first half was great. And then in the second half, he said, okay, you know all these algorithms well. Now let's go to the easy part, he said. Now I want you to implement this, you know, algorithm <laughs> on the wire. I was like, oops, <laughs> that's not that easy for me. And mm. um, yeah, and I explained to him like, yeah, it's just, you think it's easy, but it's not easy for me. And actually it took a, a whole lot, a lot of time like to 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 implement this on on the whiteboard and um and then he explained to me that he said that yeah this is i can understand that you don't have any coding experience because i had just taught myself how to code so it was not really easy for me just to do it on the especially on the interviews and um but he said that um the direction that you come from is completely different. Usually people learn about these algorithms, how they work, how to code, and then maybe they dig into the math mm -hmm. of those. So you are completely coming from different directions. So you have a deeper understanding of how they work, but now you also have to understand like, you know, like, uh, how to write the code and stuff. So, and this is true. Like, this is helping now. I'm much more comfortable with the coding, obviously. Uh, uh, but this having this deeper understanding of all these mathematical concepts behind those algorithms is really helping me a lot. Like, you know, like because uh, when you do the modeling, it's just, it, there's always some problems. So, if you know like where the problem comes from, um, it will be you save a lot of time actually. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's, it's really hard to debug everything and then try to find out what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so this the, the session that you uh, did at Strata was called "Using the Full Spectrum of Data Science to Drive Business Decisions." Yeah. Let's just kind of pick that apart. Let's start with full spectrum. What when you talk about full spectrum of data science, uh, what are you referring to? And it almost implies that you 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 think that at a lot of places people don't use the full spectrum of data science. Maybe um, you know what what are you getting at with that? So with the full spectrum, we are talking about the whole process. Actually, we talk about this, how we do this production modeling, like the whole machine learning process, not only just the algorithm part, but we start from the uh, actually the problem definition part, how we clearly, when the business people bring us the problem, how we clearly define the problem so that we can convert into the mathematical problem so that we can solve it. And once we have the problem, we have the full definition, then we have to think about the data that we have. So for example, the label, if this will be the supervised learning, the label preparation 
is very important. So every every business problem has different way of preparing the label. So we should be very careful about this label preparation. And once we have the label preparation, then we have to think about the features. So um, and when you have the features, how do you integrate with the labels? Like how do you do the alignment on the timeline? Uh, and you had the static features, dynamic features. How would you combine those static and dynamic features? And once you, you know, settle all those, then we start with the modeling techniques like training. And uh, we talk about the data partitioning and uh, and uh, we, we talk about like the, the common mistakes that first we did and that then like um, then now like we have a lesson uh, so that uh, we don't do it anymore. And uh, and then after the training, we talk about the model deployment. So how do we give our results to to our business par- partners? And the most important part, and the, actually the uh, most um, challenging part, is when you give the results to your business pro- business partners, uh, when you solve the problem, it's not finished yet. So because they use this uh, this uh, solution over and over again, so you have to check the if the if the features are or the models is doing good so because you have the results the first day everybody's confident about results model is fresh it's perfect but (laughs) after 30 days oops something going on the red flag so Mm -hmm. what's going on now so so we have to monitor the features we have to monitor the model performance and we there we have to just run basic statistics about like is everything stable or there's some degradation somewhere and um and once you do this maybe you might you might decide to do model refresh and when you do the model refresh uh you need to do the a b testing with the current model and then decide which model to to release but sometimes the it's not the model that the problem where the problem is sometimes it is the feature logic is different so for example uh let's say um you are one of the feature is the checking the traffic of your web page let's say uh and uh let's say your web page is just one page web page but after a month it has just three pages but then checking the traffic of the first page is now change the meaning so you should be aware of those kind of changes if, if it is if it is there so uh, because you need to you need to be aware of the content if you are giving the right content to your machine learning model or not so so we talk about whole this process and each steps like in detail and then we also talk about some uh, common pitfalls and challenges that we have during this process. Like, uh, for example, model interpretation is one of the biggest challenges that we have here uh, because when we present our results to the business partners, they don't only care about the results. They also care about why we get these results. What are the key drivers? So it's pretty challenging to, to, to find, especially uh, when you have the more complex models, it's, it's getting harder to explain what's going on. So you cannot just you know use models as a black box uh, for those kind of problems. It's also data quality is very important and it's another challenge. The more data is much harder to maintain the quality of the data. So yeah, we talk about all this process by giving examples and the um, the things that we need to care careful about. But this was the whole like how we use a whole spectrum of data science to do to give business decisions. Well, that's a lot of. <laughs> I think yeah. there were like now that now I understand why there are like five or six people presenting this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, yeah. Was it a full day tutorial or a half day or something? 
three hours actually three hours okay yeah yeah um, slides will be online soon so yeah okay Oh, cool. So uh, let's maybe walk through some of these points. Um, you know, you started uh, at the beginning, right? Problem formulation. A lot of people, you know, we talk a lot about algorithms, um, but that initial, you know, phase of really understanding the problem that you're trying to solve and translating that into, you know, kind of mathematical or data science thinking can be uh, a challenge. What how do you approach that? And, you know, what have you learned? Uh, you know, that what, what do you think that people get wrong about that? Um, actually, the what I learned is that the domain knowledge is very important. So it's not only only the business partner can, you know, make it like a good problem to solve or it's not only the data scientists who can, you know, just make it into math problem and then start solving it. It's the conversation is very important. So you should data scientists should really understand what is really the business partner is trying to solve, what is the background, where this problem is coming from. And then uh, once the data science understand that, data science understand this, then uh, she needs to convert this into a mathematical problem, but then she needs to explain like how she views it, like where the solution is going. Is the solution that she's trying to go is the direction is the same as the business partners thinking about? I think the conversation is really very important. The, the when data scientist trying tries to convert this problem into mathematical problem, she needs to understand the domain knowledge from the business partner. So, uh, for example, uh, I will give a very uh, very easy example. So let's say uh, LinkedIn talent uh, LinkedIn talent has this product called career subscription. So it's usually the people who are job seeker buy this products. It's more about you can view the third degree connections profile and you can do advanced job search, etc. So let's say uh, LinkedIn Talent wants to make an email campaign for the product uh, carry subscription and uh, they want to send email for this. And how do they send, who, who they should send those emails, basically? This, this is the question that they bring up to us. So obviously, for example, they cannot send it to all like 610 million members. So <laughs> we, would have a, we would have another problem if, we would, if they would do that. So they, they bring this problem to us. And now we start to ask this question, oh, do we also have historical data about this? Did you already sell this product before? So if you sell this product before, can we get the data? So are these people, are the member, LinkedIn member, can we get more data about those people? Once we are able to get the answer for this then we still say okay we have the data then we can solve this problem we can just apply machine learning techniques and then um, get the solution and then uh, get the results but then they say okay I don't only care about who 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 will who I, I'm going to send these emails but I also care about why I send these emails to these people then I said oops then they want the model interpretation also so then uh, the problem is different so I don't only care the performance of the model I also care about the interpretation of the model so when I'm doing the modeling I need to balance between the uh, performance and also interpretation because um, with our experience like we like Models like random forums, XGBoost are uh, performs much better than the logistic regression, linear regression, those kind of models. But uh, 
the, this kind of run, it's, it's hard to use the, it's hard to do the model interpretation with the random forest. Um, of course, there are this uh, feature importance coming from these machine learning techniques, but we should be careful about the bias coming from them also. So it's, it's hard to use them as a black box. So we try to, we try to get use more much simpler model maybe sacrifice some of the performance of the model so yeah those are the things like you know they tell us the problem and then we think about the mathematical solution but then we 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 drive the conversation from there on and then try to find solution together basically and is is this a process that you're usually able to you know you you have an hour meeting scheduled and they come to you and tell you their problem and you kind of you're all on the same page by the end of that meeting or is it a a, a process that you know continues uh for an extended period of time actually yeah so um it's usually like my team is more like a, more like a, how to say like horizontal team. So, for example, LinkedIn Talent has own data science team. So they are in conversation with their data science team. So this data science team already helped them to uh, convert this problem into mathematical problems. And this team is aware of all the data, everything that they have. So they are in contact with them all the time, basically. Okay. So this is a vertical data science team. I am more horizontal data science team. We are more... Um, technical so when they when this their data science team have this machine learning problem and if it is a little bit more complicated than they expect then they bring this problem to our team and then we try to solve this together with their data science team so when we have the question we usually contact with the data science team but yeah data science team is all the time in contact with the business partners so they, they are aware what's going on on their sides yeah do you often find that um the folks are, are kind of going down, you know, blind alleys and you have to like, you know, you're, 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 you engage with folks that are kind of far into the modeling process, but in order to actually make progress on what the, the business is trying to do, you have to kind of start all the way over from the definition of the, the product or, um, do, you know, does having kind of a, a data science team that you're working with kind of alleviate that issue. I, f- I guess I get f- finding conversations, you know, with, uh, you know, folks that are in data science supporting, you know, business units that often the business units will come to them with kind of, you know, wild half, you know, thought out, you know, Hey, I want a model that does this. And there's really this kind of walking back that you need to do to get them away from thinking about a specific solution to what the problem that they're actually trying to solve is, um, and I'm wondering how that manifests for you with the kind of two layers that you have to get back to that, the business itself. Yeah, I mean, those things happen. So a few times it happened, for example, like uh, the, the problem, the way that they converted didn't make sense. And we realized it when we started to check the data. So we realized it's something going something is wrong you know like it's not maybe these are not the um these are not the results that they expect so and then you start to slowly debug then on the process from problem formulation to getting the data something must be broken there then we slowly debug and few times you realize that the problem preparation problem if there is a problem with the problem definition then we go back there together all together and we sit together we try to understand and we try to convert the problem together there yeah it it happened actually a few Mm -hmm. times and is there 
you, you kind of talk about this debugging process. Is it, uh, you know, what is that process? Is there kind of a set way that you go about that or, or is it kind of systematically, you know, checking your various assumptions until you find something that doesn't line up? So, uh, so there is some parts that we do manually and the other parts are done in the platform. So the ones that we do the manually, we, we really check if we are doing it correctly or not. For example, the, the, the logic on the label preparation. So mm -hmm. is it, is it really the, the logic there is the right logic? Um, and usually like, you know, the, the models that I'm talking about, they are done like many times, like, but when you do it for the first time, then there might be a problem. So we are very careful about the the the, the problem. For example, uh, on B two B business or even B two C, like uh, acquiring a new customer or empowering a new customer, uh, empowering an existing customer of like a churn model. Uh, we have done those models before, so we know how to. We know the lo uh, label logic. We know how to do the problem definition. But if you are if the new problem comes and it's the first time that they have this problem there we need to be careful like there actually uh, you don't immediately put the definition and then start to solve so this is ongoing process you start to think about it and then you maybe try one prototype model and discuss about the results and you go back again like okay if, we, if I had changed the problem to this then would I get the same result so um, this this is not a, in that sense like uh, it's not the all the time like this debugging issue doesn't come very often, but uh, we know actually when it can come. If, if, it's a, if the problem generation was the first time, then we might have this problem. A lot of the issues that you described, you, you mentioned kind of this label preparation uh, stage a couple of times. It seems like, especially when you're start tackling a new business problem, it's one of the areas where technical or process problems tend to creep in. Can you Talk a little bit about that label uh, prep stage and the, the kinds of things you're doing there and the way you approach that at LinkedIn. Yeah. So, um, so label preparation, for example, I will explain it with the example that I that I gave about the this LinkedIn talent wants to do the email campaign about the product careers subscription. Um, for example, they say that they have data. So the data is like they send this email before, um, and um, how how do you how do you prepare the label from that? So. This question has a yes or no answer, right? It's, it will be it will be a binary classification. It will be either positive or negative. So, but how do you define the positive? How do you define the negative? For example, you send the email, and then what? What is positive there? Just reading the email, clicking the the, the link that we sent, or buying the product and what is the timeline that you're going to put like are if they buy for example you decided okay if they buy it will be positive for me this will be my label then are you going to wait for a day for a week for a month so what's the timeline for this you have to stop somewhere so deciding those things are um, are important so again you you check the data it, uh, when you are defining the label uh, so this 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 is very important actually this label preparation part and the example you just gave, those are labels that you can acquire, define programmatically by, you know, presumably running some, you know, SQL queries against your data yeah. warehouse or something like that. Is that the, the majority of the types of problems that you tackle within the data mining domain? Or do you ever have 
um, kind of these problems where you have to go back and manually label uh, a bunch of data. Yeah, so the logic is done manually, but as you say, the, after you have this logic done, then you just write the code, and then code just runs on the on the on the Hadoop or like on on HDFS, and mm-hmm. then yeah, automatically we get the data. But the one, but we the, the the logic is the most important part. So once you have the logic, you discuss the logic, and you get the code review on the logic. If everybody agrees this is the right logic, then the code just goes on. Just we use the same code over and over for same kind of problem Mm -hmm. and is the you mentioned kind of this issue of um in the talent example kind of attribution when do we say that someone's bought uh and also i i frequently kind of hear about um you know issues around features with like uh point in time correctness and um you know the whole time machine thing uh, is that something that comes up in the types of problems you're dealing with? Yeah, those uh, time alignment is really very important. So again, with the same example. So for example, um, let's say you will you will also look at the the behavioral features of those people who you want to send the email uh, because it's important to check if they did the recently job search or if they had the networking recently, for example, with the recruiters. So it's a really big indication that they might buy this product. Uh, but then the, the time is very important. So uh, you have to put some some time and you are going to look at the 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 um, action that they did before that time, right? But where where do you put this time? Do you, do you put it when you send the email, or or like when they click the the link, or or when they did a subscription? Because after you send the email till to the point that they buy, uh, if you look at the 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 action, their behaviors during that time, that might be bias. That might be that they are just curious about the product and they might, I don't know, wonder about something and go and check and do the search. So it might not be that they are planning to change their job or something. So maybe it's a good idea to check those, you know, all these kind of behaviors before you send the email, before they become aware of this product. So deciding those kind of um time and then uh, when you combine it with the label the feature and just putting putting the the, 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 the timeline on the correct place is is also is also very important uh, and of course these are more for uh, more for uh, dynamic features like for snapshot features like uh, where they live um, their job title things like that which doesn't uh, change very often. Uh, these are not a big, huge problem, but the dynamic features are, yeah, it's, it's, one should be very careful about those. So you've got your problem defined, you've got your uh, labels generated, you've dealt with alignment issues uh, around your features, then it's time to, you know, start modeling and training a model. You know, what are some of the, the kind of gotchas that come up there? Yeah, so... Um, so the first thing is, of course, like partitioning the data, like training, validation, and testing. Um, of course, like this, the sizes depends on on your data size. And um, but one thing that we are very careful. Um, uh, for example, if you had duplicates in your data, you should really immediately did up all this kind of data because, um, let's say, you have same 
two same data and one goes a training set and the other goes a testing set. This is right. a problem. Yeah, leakage. Uh, exactly. Then right. this is data leakage. You should really, you should be careful all those kind of things. Uh, and, um, and after the partition, then in the model training part, there are a few things that you have to be careful. Uh, like, uh, um, for example, you have to check your system requirements. So do you really need very fast algorithm or just your system is really, does you don't care about the speed of the algorithm. Um, and um, also, uh, I already talked about the performance, why is the uh, interpretation of the model? Do you need the interpretation? Or for you, the performance is the most important one? Because here at LinkedIn, like we usually sacrifice the performance of the model, like because interpretation, for most of the problem, interpretation is really very important. Uh, but we also have other problems where, for example, interpretation Interpretation doesn't have anything to do, so we really focus more on the performance. I wonder uh, on that interpretability point. Does that yeah. is that static for a given problem, or does it change? And I'm kind of envisioning where you know a problem is new to a business; they don't really understand the the data and the underlying behaviors, and so they want something really interpretable to help them build up an intuition. But then you know, over time, they start to get a better feel for, you know, the what they're trying to model, and maybe they're willing to, you know, sacrifice some of that interpretability for additional performance. Is that a, a common trajectory? Exactly, exactly. So this this is this is very common actually. So it happens a few times. For example, we propose them to send emails some certain customer, and they say no, we shouldn't send this to this customer. Like I'm pretty sure it's not the right one. But we say, but the model says really you should send an email to this one. So then they ask why. So. Uh -huh. And those examples, we, we should be ready because of this and this. So, um, and if we use the algorithms as a black box, we can't answer those kind of questions. We say, sorry, the algorithm says this. So they say, no, I, I'm not going to send this email. So we should also convince our sales representatives, like, like these people are really important and these are the reasons that, that, that they are important. So actually, we have some in-house solution to that because uh, sometimes, like the, for example, the performance of the uh, inter the, the in performance of the models which has good interpretations uh, is really very low. We cannot use them, so we need to use uh, like a good performer uh, algorithms. So we have a solution for that uh, in-house solution. Uh, so for example. Um, Let's say we have uh, let's say we have three three hundred features in our master model, uh, and we model with all these three hundred uh, features, and we and we score you know the customers, and then we say and then we try to predict if they will buy some certain product or not, uh, and we want to know why they buy this product. So what we do is that we uh, divide the features into uh, different buckets where each bucket has a, like semantic business meaning like you know those features are like behavioral features those features are social mm -hmm. features those features are identity features and let's say i divide into three different buckets uh, and then i build a model with the features within each of these buckets so for i have like three different models apart from the master model that i have mm. uh, and the important thing is that each of these model has their own semantic meaning and um, 
in this way, I, you know, like stop the, the, the correlation between the features, between the groups of the features. And I, this also reduced the noise. And, uh, for example, when I score with my master model, each customer, I also scored them with this, this, we call them component model. I also scored them with this three component models, which has different meaning. So for example, a few times I realized that some, for example, certain person has a high uh, score with the master model because they also have a high score coming from the behavioral uh, feature model. Uh, on the other hand, somebody else, another customer has the same thing for the social uh feature model. So this tells us that, okay, so the first one got a high score because of the behavioral features and the other person got high score because of the social features. And this also helps us to send a personalized email. So when we are trying to sell the product to this person, for example, in the email, we talk about more like behavioral features. We say that, oh, uh, you can do that much more search in your, with this product actually. And we thought, that person might be more interested on search. On the other hand, for the person who got high score because of the social features, we more talk about what kind of networking that person can do, you know, if he buys this, this product. So this really helped us a lot, actually. So, um, yeah, this is our in-house solution that, that we use uh, for now. Up to now, it worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. And so is the this component model, is it... Are you using it strictly for kind of interpretability signal or are you then like training some ensemble of these components and then using it to maybe replace the original model or supplement it in in some way? Uh, I mean, for now, we only use interpreter purposes. Few times if the master model does not do good, uh, but we see a very good performance coming from the component models, we try to combine. So because then we realize that there is really big noise, you know, when when the when all the features are together. So like mm-hmm. the, the models behave much better when you separate the features from each other. Uh, but up to now, we, we, we couldn't see a good performance coming from combination of those models. So mm-hmm. we just use them separately up to now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you earlier mentioned data partitioning and, you know, there's kind of the usual, you know, test train split uh, kind of issues there. But um, I imagine that you have to do things somewhat differently when you're working with 660 million, you know, users and you have graphs and, and things like that, you know, beyond the deduplication, uh, are there, you know, ways that you deal with data partitioning that are kind of unique to LinkedIn scale? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for example, um, a few times since usually we collect the data in us uh we should be careful about for example if we are using the geolocation as a feature so it's it's usually it's us but we are we have also a lot of data coming from europe or asia so uh we should also be careful so we also in order to have the good representative of each feature we also do like certified random sampling uh, for each of the both training set testing set and validation set. So we are also careful that each feature is representative. Um, yeah, th- this is this is also something that we are we are very careful, yeah, other than the, the, the duplication of the data. Are, are you typically building models against all of the data or are you uh, you know sampling and training on subsets? 
Uh, we usually random we do random sampling Just and random train sample. on top of it. Yeah, okay. especially if we use if we do the model on the memory level. So uh, we are trying to actually we are trying to be careful about the timeline also. So um, for example, uh, we let's say if you wanna sell the product uh, today, we look at the people who bought last year and we only focus those members. We don't go and check every member. Mm. Uh, and then we do the model on those people who bought last year. But of course, in terms of scoring, then we use um, most of our members in order to score and then see who, who will get the highest score, who has the most per, per probability to to buy this product mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and is that the uh kind of locking in on a specific year is that because the you know your distribution will have changed over time and you don't want to kind of confuse your model by pulling in um users from a, a broad period of time yeah, exactly. We we just define a certain period of time. That time, like we send this email, did they did they buy in the next month or not? So we mm -hmm. we make this definition very clear, and then this will be our labels associated with the members, and then we start from there. Then we attach the features to those members. So, yeah. but the timeline is very clear. Yeah. And so the next thing on your list was kind of sharing the results to to business partners. Is this usually in the form of a kind of a deployed model that's like a service that is integrated into some application or is it more, you know, like business intelligence reports and, mm -hmm. you know, decision criteria or how, what are the different ways that you, uh, you know, both deploy and communicate uh, results to the business? Yeah, so uh, so we show our results on our testing set, of course. You know, we never touch the testing set during the training purposes or choosing hyperparameter or like an algorithm. Mm -hmm. So like we have a completely independent testing set and we we apply this testing testing set, the model that we choose, we, we think is the, is the best performed model. And um, and then these results, we need to we need to show some results to our business partners. So since we are uh, since this is a business problems, we also consider the business metrics. So for example, the conversion rate is very important for them. So we have to show them the conversion rate. So uh, it's also they are interested in the ROC curve. So it's a little bit technical, but they, they have a way to see um, uh, that compare two models because when we present the model, probably there is another model coming from the last year. So this is our baseline model. So they can, they they are they will be able to compare. Oh, this model is doing good or bad than last year. Why is this so? So this is all you know. This will be all the discussion between the business people and and us. So yeah, we we prepare our you know the performance evaluation. If it's a binary classification model, it will be probably ROC curve and the um, and the conversion rate. We also of course uh, prepare the key drivers. We show them the key drivers if they make sense to them or not. So mm -hmm. because they they have really a good domain knowledge so they can say oh this feature doesn't have anything to do with the results why did this come up and now we go over for example they want to see the people who has the highest scores so we go over them and they check them so uh, and if they see any red flag or not then they let us know so we sit together for an hour and we discuss all those things and they go over this, the the companies which have the highest score and then we get the feedback from them and if the feedback is positive 
then we release the model to them. Then the scoring process starts and we can deploy our model. Maybe we can kind of wrap things up with talking about how you ensure that these models uh, remain fresh. You mentioned uh, A-B testing is something that you do. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we use we use A/B testing in order to if if we need to refresh the model, then we use the A/B testing to see if the current model is better or the one that I that we built. Uh, if the new model that we built is doing good, but before that, we once we had the model, we we constantly do the future monitoring and the model performance monitoring. We we want to see the trends on the future. If anything is decreasing or increasing if, if there's any spike on the features uh, is it because of the um, I don't know holiday season or something else going on so we should be aware of all those kind of things same thing with model performance there something might be broken somewhere so it is really important to go and see to see if it's coming from the features or it's coming from the model and then once we are aware of all those then we might decide to refresh the model and do the ab test again decide to go with the current model or with the new model yeah this ab testing is this is it primarily offline ab testing or are you um doing it online as well and uh if you're doing it online how do you ensure I imagine at your scale, like ensuring kind of statistical significance probably isn't something yeah. that, you know, it happens probably pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe depending on the problem, but like, how do you address the, those kind of practical issues associated with A-B testing? Yeah. From, from the customers, they just do the random sampling and then start to, you know, show start to use the results from from both from both models like we they get mm-hmm. the results from the existing models they get the results from the new model and then with these results they the sales representatives they try to use both both models um, and we the, the way we design assign though the results coming from the both models are really random so sales representatives are not aware if they are using the current or the new model and then we just compare the results like if 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 the if the results are coming same or 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 if there is any um significant level of confirmation that that one can one should be able to use the the new one kind of any parting thoughts um we covered a lot of ground and you certainly covered a lot of ground in your yeah. presentation any did you leave the audience with kind of key takeaways of things that they needed to be thinking about as they're implementing this in their own companies yeah, so, okay, so we talk about, you know, the each step of this machine learning process for the model, for production the model for business problems. But actually, we can pack all those things, which will be, which will, uh, which can serve not only to you, but everybody in, in your team. So, because if one person goes all of this process once it's okay but if everybody in your team does this over and over then um it's 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 not really efficient so we should build something which is better smarter and which can which can do this process and it is doable so there are some platforms who does this so like aws microsoft azure google cloud you can consider to buy those platforms being aware their limitations their data source the algorithms that they use 
or one can build their own platform, which will do this process. Or you can do something in the middle, like uh, you can assemble both the existing platforms with your in-house solutions. So one should um, consider what their problem is, their timeline, their budget. And then uh, instead of, you know, going over this, each of the, se- the step manually, one by one, just make this a service and then uh, one can use this service over and over but of course um, uh, one should be careful about the uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication so it is very important to make this platform as simple as possible because it's important to maintain this platform also simplicity is important for the user experience Um, but yeah like instead of going this step this process one by one just consider this as a service is the best way to look at it i think Agreed. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Burju, thank you so much for uh, for walking me through all this. Um, sounds like a, a really great presentation. And uh, I love the kind of closing imperative to, you know, think about how to make this process more efficiently by supporting it via some platform. Thank you very much. It was really a pleasure to be here. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.